Today's lesson is an exciting one for me. At first, it, it took a little while to grow, but as, as I spent some time with this topic, uh, what, a, what an exciting lesson. And uh, I'm anxious to share it with you because I think there's some important principles here for us and some things to avoid. And we have a great um, key verse today uh, this wonderful proverb, a little different than, than some of the Proverbs, but um, just a tremendous proverb. Let's read it together. 1632. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Do you, do you catch that? I'm just astounded at that. Being a uh, sort of a red-blooded male growing up in the United States of America. We, we sort of look up to people that have strength and people that can ride into town and shoot up all the bad guys and, and win the day. And uh, those are the kind of people that we admire and like. And we like the, the football player that can knock over anyone on the field. And to come along and say that a person who is patient is better than that, or one with self-control is better than one who can single-handedly take a city. I, you know, I, I would read a book about someone who single-handedly could take a city with a sword or some other weapon. And we've, we've seen movies that depict those kind of characters, and we love it. Um, but this proverb just... Whoa, it causes us to hold back and to take notice because it's, it's a real contrast to what we normally think. So let's dive into it and uh, let's see what it has to say. The first line, if I could just give you a literal rendering. Remember that in Proverbs, most of the, uh, most of the two-line Proverbs consist of four words in the first line, four Hebrew words and three Hebrew words in the second line. In this case, there are four Hebrew words in the first line and four Hebrew words in the second line. And uh, another thing that this uh, proverb points out, we talked about parallelism early on in our study of the Proverbs, and the poetry of the Hebrew Bible is based on parallelism. And one of the kinds of parallelism is what we call synonymous parallelism. And that's when the first line is uh, stated in a little different way in the second, but they pretty much mean the same thing. It's not a meaningless um, repetition, however. Usually what happens is that the second line, though it says something similar, it takes it up a notch, so to speak. And you'll notice that almost in every case. For instance, in this case, look at it. Better a patient person than a warrior. Now look at the second line. One with self-control, that would be like a patient person, than one who takes a city. That would be like a warrior, but that's a special kind of warrior. And you see, each word is, in each concept is elevated slightly in that second line, and that's what happened here. If I could just give you a couple different words to think about as we go through this passage. I think it will help us. 
Probably a better way to say patient is to say one who is slow to anger. The literal rending in, in the Hebrew was good, good, a person long in anger. In other words, long to get angry. And so uh, think of the word slow to anger. Better a person slow to anger than a warrior. And then one with self-control and the literal rendering of self-control would be one who rules his spirit. One who rules his spirit. That gives you a feeling of what's needed here. Someone who can control their own spirit in a difficult situation is better than one who can take a city with a sword. Okay, let's do a little bit of um, further study on this now. I just love the way that this is portrayed in this passage, and so we're going to leave it for just a minute, and I want to ask you the question. If a person that is patient can is better than a warrior, and one who has self-controller who rules his own spirit can, is better than one who can take a city. What's the opposite of those characteristics? I want to suggest three different uh, word combinations that convey the opposite. And you'll see these in the book of Proverbs. The first is uh, someone who is quick-tempered, as we see in this verse we're dealing with right now. And we want to stay here because I want to talk about this verse, but also... Um, the term short-tempered would mean the same thing. Or someone who is hot-tempered. So a quick-tempered, short-tempered, hot-tempered, those kind of people uh, communicate the opposite of a patient person who rules his own spirit. Let's look at this passage in, uh, in 1417. So what kinds of things does a quick-tempered person do? A quick-tempered person does foolish things. A quick-tempered person does foolish things. Have you ever lost your cool and done something foolish? Oh my goodness, I have. I've said foolish things. I've done foolish things. All because I was out of control. And I allowed my anger to take over. And so the warning of the proverb is a quick-tempered person does foolish things. What else does a quick-tempered person do? Let's look at 29.22. An angry person stirs up conflict. And a hot-tempered person commits many sins. We have two things in this scripture that we can talk about. One of the most tragic things about uh, someone who lets their anger get out of control is this thing of stirring up conflict. Um, nothing could be more true than that, that scripture, that an angry person stirs up conflict. Um, again, I think we can all look back in our own lives and th see how that's happened. When we've lost our cool, other people have lost theirs. And it's just a, a one-upsmanship from there that could lead to physical blows and on and on it goes. The last part of this passage in Proverbs I think is quite telling. 
and a hot-tempered person commits many sins. And, and we know that that's true. That think about things that you've just heard even in the news. Someone comes home and they find a, a, a spouse in bed with someone else. And they lose their temper and they grab a gun and they go in and they shoot both people. And we have a grotesque homicide on our hands. And it all happened because someone lost their temper. Was it right for those people to be doing that? No. Was it right for the person to lose their temper and, and commit a double murder? No. But that's the kind of thing that happens when temper gets out of control. Let's look at another passage. 22 verses 24 and 25. Do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. Or you may learn their ways and get yourself ensnared. I don't know if you remember our, our lesson from last week. We, one of the words in our, in our proverb was the word snare. And uh, we said that the fear of man leads to a snare. And here's something that snares you as well, is um, getting involved relationally with an angry person. And the, the wisdom of the writer here is stay away from an angry person. Stay away from an angry person. Let's go back to verse 24 for just a minute. In verse 24, it says, do not make friends with a hot-tempered person. Do not associate with one easily angered. And then verse 25 gives us the thing that can happen. We can learn their ways and get ourselves ensnared. And so um, the, um, the losing of our temper, uh, allowing ourselves to get out of control when it comes to our anger is something that is reinforced by the people that we're with. If we're with people who live that way, we will take on that characteristic as well. We'll say that's okay for me too. The unfortunate thing about children who are raised with angry parents is they learn that way and they become angry parents. And then they produce children who are angry parents. And somewhere the chain has to be broken. And the writer here is suggesting um, when you have a choice, don't associate with people who are angry. One more passage to read is 25:28. Like a city whose walls are broken through is a person who lacks self-control. What a picture. You would think that that would not be true. You would think that, um, that a person who was angry, would be um, very forceful in keeping other people out of his life if he wanted to. But the writer of the proverb portrays it like a, a city with walls that are broken down. And it's like the person who loses their temper, lacks defense. They've lacked, they're lacking a basic defense in their life. And it's true. If, you, if you're out of control with regard to your spirit, you're out of control. 
anything can come in. You're like saying to Satan, come on in. I'm open for whatever you suggest. I'm open for shooting someone. I'm open for doing something stupid because I'm out of control. That's what somebody who loses their temper, who allows their spirit to get out of control, they're like a city whose walls are broken down. There's no protection. Let's talk about a situation in the Old Testament that demonstrates this principle. And the story is that of a man by the name of Nabal, N-A-B-A-L, in, uh, I guess it was 1 Samuel chapter 25, I think is the passage where we find that story. But let's just talk about the story. Uh, here's the situation. David is not yet king, and he's roaming the countryside with a significant group of men and uh, to help themselves to be uh, supported. They would provide protection for shepherds that were taking care of sheep or other livestock. And, uh, and then they uh, would hope that the kindness of the owner of those sheep and livestock would be returned to them in, in form of food. And so David and his men had um, overseen the, the flocks of um, Nabal. Uh, that is, they had protected the shepherds from others that would have um, harmed them. And uh, in need of food, they sent, David sent messengers to Nabal at the time of shearing and said, uh, would you remember us? We, we've watched out for your men uh, and we just would appreciate some food at this time. Well, we don't know for sure that Nabal was out of control when he said what he said, but it very well could have been. It sounds like it. He basically uh, uh, began to uh, become angry that they had asked him that question. Who does this David think he is coming to me to ask me for some of my meat? Uh, there's a lot of men out there that have no control over their lives and I'm not going to be involved in any of them and, you know, just curt, cut these men off and sent them away. Okay, so a little bit of anger, we could say. When these men went back and reported to David what had been said to them, guess how he responded? He responded by allowing anger to overtake him. He became totally out of control. And he said, men, strap on your swords. And he wasn't talking about going out for a little uh, practice in, in, in swordsmanship. There was going to be some bloodlet. And in fact, he said, deal with me, be it ever so severely, God, if, I don't, if, if Nabal doesn't lose every single male in his household by tonight. So there was going to be some loss of life out there. And David rides on his horse and his men are behind him and they're, they're hot and they're angry and they're riding towards uh, the home of Nabal. Well, you know the rest of the story. Abigail, Nabal's wife, hears about this and she comes out to meet them with food and she does a beautiful thing. She bows down to David. She apologizes for the response of her husband 
and she lays out the food that she gathered together just on short notice and uh, promises to pray for David, recognizes that he will one day be king and just diffuses his anger. The point though is that both men, both Nabal and David, allowed themselves to get out of control. And because of that, um, what they allowed, Nabal easily could have lost his life and the lives of all the people, the males especially, that lived in his household. And David easily could have done something that he would have regretted later. And so we need to put our anger under the control of the Lord. Proverbs 20, 22 has this to say. Do not say, I will pay you back for this wrong. Wait for the Lord and he will avenge you. In another place in Deuteronomy, it says, it is mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. And that's quoted again in the New Testament. God wants to take care of the revenge in our lives. He's not expecting us to do that. He's expecting us to trust in him, to forgive, and to allow him to uh, mete out revenge. And he will do it fairly. Another passage uh, for us to look at, and that is James 1, 19 through 20. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Wow. Many people feel that the book of James is like a New Testament book of Proverbs, and I believe that it is. And I I believe that the writers of the New Testament um, many times use the passages of the Old Testament as a background for their uh, principles that they share because they were so versed in the, in the Old Testament. Every writer of the New Testament knew well the Old Testament. And so um, the principle here is be slow to speak. I mean, quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. Keep that in mind. If you feel anger welling up in your, in your heart, recognize that God is not going to be able to use that. He's not going to be able to use that. Now you might say, well, Jesus got angry in the temple. His was a, a controlled anger, and his was an anger that wasn't concerning himself. It was concerning uh, the oppression that was taking place in the temple. Um, charging more than should be charged for these sacrifices that were then given and that God's purposes in that temple were not being carried out, that that of being a place of prayer and it had become rather a place of taking advantage of other human beings who couldn't um, bring sacrifices with them on long journeys from distant countries and so they were overcharged when they got into town. He was... He was righteously angered, but not out of control. And that's a different anger. And probably one that most of us have never had. So we need to be cautious. When you feel anger welling up, um, 
recognize that God doesn't work through anger. Well, I'd like for you to, to look at the, uh, another part of the verse, and that is this. Our, our key verse or our key passage today is um, Proverbs 16.32. And I'd, if we could just look at that again real quickly, let's use that as a jumping off point for this next scripture. So better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. So I'd like us to take those two terms, patient person. And remember, we talked about um, the real translation of that would be one who is slow to anger and one who controls their spirit. Uh, I think that would be the best way to speak about one with self-control. So um, one who's slow to anger and one who controls their spirit. What can a person like that do? Go with me to Proverbs 15, 18. Proverbs 15, 18. Okay, here we have this, this contrast. And uh, a hot-tempered person stirs up conflict. That's what one that is out of control can do. And does that ever bring about the purposes of God to stir up conflict? But the one who is patient calms a quarrel. So a one who is slow to anger calms a quarrel. How does that happen? Well, just think about Abigail. She was calm in that situation when she faced David. She was even calm in, I, I'm not sure if she had any dialogue with her husband before she went out and did what she did. But she just calmly did what was the right thing to do in that circumstance. And as she calmly spoke with David, his own anger subsided. It's the whole principle of a gentle answer, turns away wrath. And uh, so one who is patient, one who is... um, slow to anger, who doesn't fly off the handle, brings about um, calmness in a quarrel. We need more people like that. Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. We need to be peacemakers, not conflict stir-uppers. He's not called us to stir up conflict. He's He's called us to be peacemakers. Okay, another passage Proverbs 25.15, through patience, through being slow to anger, a ruler can be persuaded. And that second part is a great part too, but I want to focus just on the first part today. Through patience or through being slow to anger, a ruler can be persuaded. I think so often in the ancient world, because rulers were... Uh, completely autocratic. They had power of life and death and uh, people were totally at their mercy. I think it would have been a common thing for someone who was trying to persuade a ruler to do something or to think a certain way for, to experience him flying off the handle, losing his anger and threatening or uh, lopping off a head, that kind of thing. And uh, the writer of the Proverbs is saying, Through patience, 
through being slow to anger, a ruler can be persuaded. And so um, in the work that we do with people in difficult situations relationally, as we're patient, as we're loving, as we're slow to anger, we allow um, harsh things to bounce off of us rather than to take offense and put up our dukes and fight. That kind of thing um, can persuade somebody that we're talking to and uh, can change a situation for the good. Okay? Let's look at one more, and that's uh, Proverbs 19.11. A person's wisdom yields patience, or again, the word is slow to anger. It is to one's glory to overlook an offense. They seem to be initially not related to each other, but think about it. Um, when one is patient, one is able to overlook an offense. When one is slow to anger, they're able to overlook an offense towards them. And we need to be like that. We need to be people who can allow an offense to bounce off of us without creating within us all this anger. That seems like a very difficult thing to do. But how much do we need that in our world today? Um, we're so much into responding to people who have wronged us and we're going to wrong them. And, and we're going to do this to them because they did that, that to us. And it's all of us seeking our own revenge. And God is saying, let me take revenge. I'll take care of that. And you just keep your eyes on the things that you need to be doing. So a person who is slow to anger is one who can overlook an offense. I'd like for us to, to think about a good example of this from Scripture. And obviously, uh, the one that comes to my mind is Jesus. And there's a passage that speaks about the kind of attitude that Jesus had. And then I'd like for us to talk about his life, particularly at the end, and uh, how he demonstrated the, these principles. Peter is speaking about Jesus in 1 Peter 2.23, and he says, when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I think about, if you'll leave that on, we'll maybe refer to it here in a minute. I think about when he was in the garden and uh, one of his disciples, it might have been Peter, had taken up the sword and, and was going to defend him and he cuts off the ear of the high priest's servant. And Jesus says to him, put up your sword. He says, don't you know that if I had wanted to defend myself in that way, I could have called legions of angels to come and defend me. And uh, so he was, when he was being arrested and treated roughly, um, he didn't retaliate, even though he could have. He, he could have called legions of angels, and he didn't do it. 
So he suffered, made no threats, went through the, the mockery of a trial and didn't speak a word when they were speaking total lies and even making fools of themselves in front of those that they were speaking. And he said nothing, didn't get angry, was beaten, was made fun of, was flogged with um, cat of nine tails, was nailed to a cross, and as he was being erected in that position on the cross, that upright position, he said to his father about those that had just put him on the cross and put him in that awfully painful position. He said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. And so rather than retaliating, he's asking for God to forgive um, the ones that were persecuting him. A great example for us today, um, we need to be more like Jesus. We used to sing a little chorus uh, in growing up, to be like Jesus, to be like Jesus, all I ask, to be like him. All through life's journey from earth to glory, all I ask, to be like him. If we could be like Jesus, in the way that we react when we're wronged, that would be a great thing. If we could be like Jesus and be long-suffering, if we could be uh, long in our waiting to get angry, if we could just be like that, uh, what would this world be like? And so um, Jesus is the great example, and uh, we have the, the job of being patient, being slow to anger, of being self-controlled. And uh, as, we're, as we're fulfilling those things in our lives, as we're allowing God to, to build that into us, we're being like him, and we're giving a testimony to the world about Jesus then they will see him in us and they'll be drawn to him. Okay, so anger never brings about God's purposes. And uh, I'd like for us to see the passage one more time before we quit today, and that's Proverbs 16:32. Better a patient person than a warrior, one with self-control than one who takes a city. Let's pray. Lord, help us to be like that today. Thank you for these wonderful passages that have led us in, uh, in what we needed to hear today. We pray these things in Jesus' name.